0: Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 89. Today we spoke to Alistair Rogers, All Blacks performance analyst, during their two Rugby World Cup wins, coach and former rugby player. We talk about Alistair's journey from Wales to New Zealand, a life of playing and coaching rugby. He became the All Blacks Analyst for seven years, specialising in opposition analysis and defence, was part of the coaching staff for the Rugby World Cup wins in 2011 and 2015. He has been involved in coaching roles with the Wellington Hurricanes, Auckland Blues, now in Japan. Al talks about the mind and the mental game and the differences between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere in that space. The All Blacks wanted to do something nobody else has done, and that was pretty special to be part of. We discussed leadership, performance, communication, culture, and decision-making as a coach. This one was special for us. Thanks for joining us, Al, and best of luck in Japan This is kindly
1: brought to you by Instant Speed Training. Used by the best athletes in the world, such as Bowden Barrett, Usain Bolt, Cristiano Ronaldo, and numerous Olympians alike, speed bands are the key to increasing your speed and performance. You can check out their fantastic products at www.instantspeedtraining.com or on social media under handle at speedbands. Use our discount code SEPR15 for an exclusive 15% off. Big thanks to Martin McElroy and the team for sponsoring this episode. Alistair Rogers, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today?
2: Good morning, men. First of all, thanks very much for having me on the on the show. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a beautiful five o'clock a.m. in Auckland,
0: in New Zealand. And Al, what was it like during the Super Rugby Alloroa campaign? I mean, that must have been quite an amazing experience for New Zealand as a country.
2: Yeah, look, it's been it's been fantastic. You know. The, Everybody as as you guys know, it's such a, a sporting country, especially with the rugby, you know, being the the main sport. And for the for the communities and the different people to be able to to watch some sport that's been missing for a long time. So the communities have really rallied around the game and that's that's been it's been some really good crowds. So it's it's been very, very good to watch and just keep an eye on and obviously from a game perspective a couple of different laws that have been try or trialed i wouldn't say trialed but they've been implemented um and uh, so so it's been interesting been being really good to watch
0: and thanks for that al and could you just share with the listeners as to the story of how you got involved in rugby in the first place
2: so i was born in wales and i started to play when i was around eight nine years old uh, i was playing I used to play soccer as well and cricket so quite a few different sports that i i, I just had to love a love of sport and I, and I had an opportunity to play soccer or cricket and mum and dad made sure that i had to make a decision so i chose rugby to follow as a something that i wanted to to kind of see how far i went with so yeah, it all started at a pretty early age i was born in a place called Port Talbot, which is down in south of wales so i played there and uh, played in uh, for a club called Aberavan as a youth team played for Neath, nice, which is the, the Welsh All Blacks as a young fella and and then um, had an opportunity to come to New Zealand so packed my
0: bags. And what was it like as a, as a young player out to make that move from Neath Swansea all the way over to the country of the long white cloud?
2: It, it all it all stemmed for me from my dad. My dad was a real big All Black fan He just loved the All Blacks, and he used to say from an early age, "Look, if you're going to want to learn how to play the game, then you've got to go to New Zealand. They're the best in the world. And so that was kind of in my subconscious from an early age. So um, when an opportunity came to go, I I always had that in the back of my mind, I've got to go to New Zealand, yeah, I wouldn't mind. So I used to watch a lot of All Blacks games and i used to you know subscribe to rugby world magazine they'd send it from the other side of the world to read about new zealand and things like that so i was a little bit of quite a fan as much as dad was really and then an opportunity uh, i was with Neath, and someone who came from new zealand to play for Neath at the time uh, said to me oh why did you would you like to go over and play a season of club rugby over there so that was my my opportunity to go and so i was it wasn't really daunting. I was super excited by it, and it was something that I'd been able to, um, to to be looking forward to for a long time.
0: And when was that, Al? And what happened next with your rugby journey? Uh, so
2: I originally played. So I played for a club. I went straight to Wellington uh, and played for a club in Wellington, and I'd played back-to-back seasons. That I was pretty tired after that first year, especially coming to New Zealand and seeing the size of the, <laughs> the size of the people. <laughs> We were at the front, I was an open side flanker and I was 85 kgs ringing wet. And then um, my club, I was really lucky. The, the club that I went to uh, had a lot of all blacks in it, um, a lot of uh, international players, a lot of uh, Tongan and Samoan in, international players. So um, they were big boys compared to what I was used to. So after, I needed a break after playing a season there and and decided to stay because I'd had a visa for for two years. So I thought, rather than go back and play in Wales again, I thought I'd just have a break and stay. And that was when I kind of, to be honest, boys, I, I after three days of me um, being in New Zealand, I realised that I, I wasn't too sure whether I'd go back to Wales and, and that my future was in New Zealand. I, I, loved, I loved the country and um, I loved the people and, and I really felt this was where everything needed to be for me so that was my decision to stay
0: and they didn't want you to play scrum half you uh, you managed to retain and hold on to that price <laughs> priceful seven jersey did you
2: yeah the the coach did say are you sure you're a seven
0: and uh, a lot of people talk about new zealand finally that it's a beautiful country full of amazing people but what is it that really makes it special
2: one of the biggest things that hit me was i, I managed to get it because we were not playing professionally we were playing club rugby and I got a job in at tele, telecom, which is like a telecommunications company, and um, I can't remember what what exactly the, the the issue was, but I'd made a bit of an error. I'd done something which was uh, <laughs> caused a bit of a stir. I, it, I don't think it was major, but it, but it was something, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get you know a bit of a lecture here about what I did, and I don't, you know with mistakes, a lot of times you, you know what you've done. And I went into the boss's office. He sat me down. And he's like, "Oh, how are you going? Yeah, great. Uh, look, really sorry, but that this this has happened." And he just said to me, well, "What did you learn from it?" And I said, "Oh, this these things." And he said, "Well, great. As long as you learn from it, off you go." And it was just that mindset. And I thought, "Wow, that's so. That's oh, that's how I wanna I wanna live like that. You know, like that's so we never. It was it was all about." not about what you've done it was about okay what did you learn from it and how can you move forward and that was something that i really really wanted to be part of my how i grew how i grew so that was a big a big thing for me for the country and everyone just there's a lot of that those examples you know it's a small country so they they have to innovate in different ways and think in different ways um and, and that's kind of what really cemented me to be to be here
1: Right, well you've certainly become more of a, a part of that culture what was the next step for you going from being a player maybe into being a coach or an analyst
2: yeah so I finished um, I went I actually I, I went back to 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 Wales because I, I was playing here and I felt I wondered I was curious to know whether I could be an international player or not so after this the stint here I went back to Wales I had a contract to play Um for a club called Abervale which were there were nine Welsh professional teams at the time so I went back there and and played there uh, and then but I had an opportunity to come back through my my wife then who I'd met um a little bit later on down the track so I so I, so I got I got to Wales um and I was teaching IT to a group of people I'd, I had a degree in IT and I was teaching IT Teaching computers, that was, um, and and trying to play play rugby. Um, and once that finished, my 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 wife and I came back to New Zealand, and um, I was coaching club rugby here. And um, that had an opportunity for me to to meet a couple of people. Um, and a coach of mine had said, look. You'd be a really good analyst because of your background. Your background, you know, I obviously had that IT background, and I played played professionally. So he said that kind of skill set's pretty rare. Would you Would you consider being an analyst? And I thought, oh, I don't really know anything. I was a, I was pretty analytical as a player, but as far as system and technology goes, I wasn't really across it. Um, I, I, I had my degree, but I was. I wasn't really a very technical person I, I was more of a, a teaching person so um, I wasn't too sure whether I wanted to be an analyst anyway I thought I'd give it a go so I used to go around and video a couple of club games on the weekend analyze them and then meet with coaches on a Monday night and hand out the information to them I'd cut the film for them and hand out information so what happened there was we started off with, um, I think it was like eight or nine teams. Uh, and then slowly every Monday night a team dropped off until they had one team who, and the coach said to me, look, could you, would, if no one else is using this, would you, would you do this for us? I was, yeah, no worries at all. And, and they won the competition. I think it was like the first time in 20 something years that they'd won the competition because he could see the benefit of, of the analysis. And, um, so that was that was kind of how my analysis path started really it was it was so I fell into it more than anything
0: and for people who might't understand the role of an analyst in the sport or rugby union what exactly does that job entail I mean what kind of advice or suggestions can you give to the coaching staff or, or the players
2: I think for me um there's a, there's, there's a couple of different types of analysts um, you know there's obviously a technical person who can who can um, go through the numbers and understand the data and the analytics. Uh, But there's also a game analyst who can understand the game, know what the coaches are looking for, um, spend the time trawling through the footage, and then giving the the, the coaches um, information based on how they see the game. So that was kind of the the analyst that that I was uh, because I, and don't get me wrong, guys, I thought I knew the game until I started to be an analyst and, and work with, you know, very, very smart coaches. I thought, oh yeah, I know the game. I played it a long time, but it wasn't until I actually started to become an analyst that I thought, actually, I don't know anything about the game. And, and, um, and these coaches are unbelievably smart around the game. Uh, so that was the, the, as far as the, the technical data, um, we would look at um, basically try and keep it as simple as possible and, and what key performance indicators potentially when we win work for us, what areas of the game um, aren't working for us, and then what are the solutions around put, put in, putting something together, strategies together to be able to perform for the next week. So that's kind of how it worked.
0: And did you ever find it difficult... To bring across the analysts that you might have done, how that could add value to the coaching staff. Were there ever any obstacles to that stream of communication?
2: Yeah, look, it, it's certainly a thin line. I think um, I talk to a lot of analysts these days, and I always say that you've got to be very careful of always stepping a mark, and you've got to understand those boundaries. Um, but I was very, really fortunate. I had great relationships with the coaches and they knew that the intent was always to get better. So, um, once you build those relationships, it wasn't when I started, um, I didn't actually kind of have that approach when I started. I, um, my approach to start with was just to provide them a service and, and, and see where we go from there. And then gradually as you build, relationships and you have conversations they say oh what did you see oh i saw this oh that's pretty good and oh this is based on on these things and this is why it happened and so gradually you build those relationships and you have those those conversations and and they become a lot more open to to your input and and your value
1: that's excellent you mentioned a relationship with coaches and having a big impact on you which ones or who was the biggest impact on your career as a coach and as an analyst?
2: All the all black coaches really uh, at the time so Graham Henry um, Wayne Smith, Steve Hansen, um, Mike Cron who was a scum coach and M- Mick Byrne who was, a, um, who was our skills coach they predominantly because I worked with them for 8 eight or 9 years they in, uh, well Graham left but and then um, Ian Foster came in. So, but we were actually, when we we're on the road, we live together, you know. And and I was such a, cu- a curious person. I um, always wanted to know why things are happening or listen to conversations. Um, so it was almost like accelerated learning for me to be in that environment, and um, and just listening to how on field how how they communicate with the players. Um, how the players, um, how they set up leadership groups, how we run, um, the, uh, the, the players prepare each week. Uh, so all those kind of things, when, you, when you've got a real curious mind um, and a thirst for wanting to get better, um, it was just a magical time for me.
0: And we've all seen the documentaries, read the books. Um, we can remember it, but what was it like being on the ground leading up to 2011. I mean, New Zealand hadn't won the Web Alice since 1987. It's in their own backyard, a lot of pressure, a lot of expectation, obviously a lot of, I suppose, optimism. What was it like going through that period for the All Blacks?
2: Yeah. So obviously 2007 hadn't gone very well, uh, and I was kind of involved. Um, I was on standby for the World Cup in 2007. I didn't actually get there. Um, but I was a, a kind of a, a backup if, in, in case the analyst got sick, who was there at the time. So I'd been in the camp and, um, kind of gone through the, the, a couple of things with, with the team. So, and I think the New Zealand rugby union did a really good thing, obviously in, in reappointing the, the, the group because they, they'd learned so much and identified that, you know, performing under pressure was something that needed to be. They needed a solution for it, uh, so the coaches were very, very clear on what needed to happen um, leading up to 2011. Which so they, you know, we spent a lot of time in the mental space around performing, performing under pressure, and um, and growing those skills within the athletes. But it was it, w- it was certainly a. Um, a relief more than anything like an, an example such such interesting things had happened you know like we played france we drew france in the pool game and um after the french game where myself and steve and mike cron and mark lamont who's the french coach were having a drink i'm standing and having a drink and he uh they were just about to leave the changing shed and he, he said to us, oh, well, well, we'll see you in the final. And then he put his beard down and walked away. <laughs> and Steve looked and Steve looked at me and he'd gone, <laughs> did he just say that? <laughs> and Steve's, Steve's a smart man, you know, and he's, yeah. So we kind of, we put so much emotion into the, the, court, the, the pool game with France because we built up um, a lot of that from 2007. And then for him to say that, so they 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 knew that they couldn't kind of win in New Zealand twice. So it was a fa- it was interesting, you know. So we had that, and then when we drew them again in the final, um, we were kind of all right. How are we gonna how are we gonna kind of motivate the, the, the guys because we'd used all the, all the stuff to motivate them um, in the previous in the previous game. Um, so we managed, to, and it's a World Cup final, and a lot of people shouldn't say that the players needed motivated, but we, we needed to make sure that they were not overly uh, aroused, but absolutely ready in that sweet spot to perform. Um, and uh, you know, we were we were it was pretty close the result, and um, just a massive sense of relief more than anything. It wasn't it wasn't too much enjoyment. The enjoyment came after, <laughs> but at that time and. It was just, yeah, it was, thank goodness we'd, we'd we'd done the job, you know.
1: So we're all aware of how successful that team would go on to be now. But I'm interested, was there any particular moments of authentic leadership or something that seemed just a little bit different for you to say, maybe these guys have got the demons of 2007 after back and that maybe now they can go on and become something special?
2: I think it was more the, like, Richie at that time, had a a real desire to to do to do to be that kind of leader that hadn't um, the, to get the monkey off our back, so to speak, and that leadership group, like, Kevin Milham, Brad Thorne, Conrad Smith, like um, Rodney was in there, Rodney Soyalo. So those those guys were um, were were obviously pretty focused and driven, and I remember playing. We played. Uh, argentina in the quarter final who came off the off the field and the boys were asking straight away or oh, who's in the who's who's in the uh, who are we playing in the semi-final like they hadn't really got off the field i was walking down the tunnel and australia played before us so we knew that we were going to play australia and they would say oh, well we're going to play australia and they were like yes they were so happy you know so that that told me that the the boys were actually ready to go and they were on a they, they were looking forward to the challenge and they they'd actually um, shifted their mindset as a team we, we'd managed to shift that as a, as a group over that period of time and, and knew that it was going to be tough but so that was a an indicator to me that I, that, that we had made those 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 shifts. And then, as you know, anything can happen in a final. But um, that was probably the, the thing that stuck out for me.
0: And was there a hope that maybe Warburton wouldn't have picked up a red card, and that the future could have been slightly different? It leads to the question as to what would those emotions potentially have been like if the All Blacks are up against the country of your birth? Nah, to be honest,
2: because we played, we played Wales many times in the like from since I was starting which is 2008 to be played at Wales every year in Cardiff so and and they'd had a tour I think it was 2010 they toured so we played them so I'd I'd played Wales a number of times so I'd actually gone through those kind of things early you know so um, by that time I'd firmly had um, black blood in my veins and didn't really matter who we played to be
0: fair like venom. And the most difficult thing for any successful team that wants to go down as one of the greatest is obviously to repeat a success. Obviously, there was a lot of change in the backroom coaching staff and some prime players had moved on, but you still had a core of significant players. What was it like for the All Blacks going into the period knowing that if they did back up 2011 with another win, they would be considered one of the greatest of all time?
2: Yeah, I think... um Obviously, Steve moving from assistant to head coach—that was a—that was the change, um, which was a big change. But Steve did a really, really good job in in selling the management team a vision, um, and he, he managed to get the leadership group really excited by by a vision. And wasn't necessarily—we didn't have all the answers as to how we we were gonna how we were gonna do it or. The, 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 one of the things that—that's what I learned—the power of a vision, um, because it w- of the vision was that we wanted to be the most dominant team in the history of the game, and um, what we set, what we set was, or what Steve had said was, it wasn't for us to determine that. It was, it was actually, it was. People would judge us whether we could make it or not, but that's what it was. It was, I would say an aspiration more than a vision. And that's how we sold it. So it was a, it was a subtle difference of, okay, we're, no, we're not going to, you know, we, we're driving this and we want to be that team. Well, we, we do want to be that team, but it wasn't for us to make that decision. It was for others to say, well, yeah, they're, they're, up, they're actually up there. They're going to be the, the, the most dominant team. So that sold a lot of people, and that excited a lot of a lot a lot of the the management and the staff, and and um, you know we didn't really talk about back to back at that stage. It was just about how we were gonna try try to live up to that aspiration over over the the time. Um, and because because the, the the leaders were so enthused by that, and the management, and you know we were pretty pretty successful when we came in, when in, in 12 13 we were re- pretty successful and then um i guess the challenge then was when you know i remember sitting down with with the group the coaching group and sitting and steve's going okay well we, we want to be able to do something that no one else has done before and um that was that was i, I remember that moment really really clearly because that was the part that you go yeah well, i really want to be part of this like it's interesting hey fellas like from from a, we talk about the mind and the mental game but who when you know it's like growing up sometimes in in the northern hemisphere and you, you get kind of a lot of guys are pretty um cautious about having big aspirations and big visions of what they want to do and things like that they don't really you know because you get you can get kind of um, brought back down to earth, should we say? Um, but for us to be, able, for me to be part of a team that would sit there and go, we want to do something that no one else has done, and for, and we just got really excited. You can feel the energy in the room going, yeah, yeah, let's do this. You know, like so. So that was that was pretty special to be to be part of that.
0: And that must be amazing energy, resilience, cohesiveness. I suppose, bonding just flooding through the veins. And I mean, for all the listeners, FYI, they did go on to win it again. Um, so, they, so they backed it up 2011, 2015. But Al, I mean, your journey moved on a little bit and you spent a little bit of time in other countries. You, you worked in China, uh, Samoa and Japan and are obviously going to Japan. So what's this all been like?
2: It was everything that I hoped it would be really so far. Um, I got an opportunity when when we finished the World Cup to go to coach the Blues here in Auckland um, and learnt a lot over those three years. Um, So that was a really, really valuable experience. Uh, And then um, I decided it got to a a point where I wondered what what was next for me and um, New Zealand Rugby Union had offered me a two-year contract to continue. Um, I decided not to continue and, and then had an opportunity to coach Samoa for the, um, for the, for the world cup. So switched from, from New Zealand here, I still stayed here and lived here, but I went, uh, I used to travel back and forth to Samoa. Um, such a rewarding, uh, job in many ways to get into Samoa and, and go along the community and try and grow the game there and, um, see the kids run around the village with the, with hardly anything. Um, in, in terms of like, I turned up for one session and there were would have been about 60 people in this club and, um, we, okay, guys, I'm going to run the session. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Okay, great. And we didn't have a ball. that's great that's exactly that, that's exactly what i went to you know like I, but the, the kids were brilliant so you, you got to obviously think on your feet and you say okay well, w- well where's the ball oh no we haven't got a ball well okay so someone ran to their house to get a ball and by the time we did that um you know the the boys had, we, we had little drills going with caps or um t-shirts we rolled into balls or what we call jandals you know which are um sandals They'd use sandals as balls and, and just things like that, you know. Um, it's such a great coaching experience when it's done really back to, to grassroots. It really, really uh, rewarding. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was so good. Um, so to, to go through that experience with them um, was was a real highlight for me. Um, and then after. After the, that experience, the World Cup, um, I had a phone call. I was pretty keen to have a break because i had been travelling quite a bit and I hadn't been home for a while. And um, anyway, I got a phone call uh, from uh, someone who I'd, I'd I'd known, never worked with, but known. And he rang me. He so said, "What are you doing?" So I'm having a break. Well, would you consider coaching coming to China and coaching China China's women's um, Olympic sevens team? 17- so all of, <laughs> I can't I can't speak Chinese um I have I, I haven't coached I haven't coached sevens for um for oh, I would have been a long 20 years you know like the last time I would have coached sevens the, the old tactic was give it to the fastest guy in the field and <laughs> you know run run multiple times you know um so uh yeah so I didn't speak the language like the food so i thought yeah um, again from a from a real coaching experience um something different which is so refreshing uh and rewarding in in a in a completely different way um the the coach the coaches there did did a really good job of getting the girls to the olympics under pretty uh um a strict regime really in china and um and they they the kind of decision was to bring the girls out of China and bring them to New Zealand where we could grow them as, as women as well as rugby players. So that was a completely a different experience again. And in, in seeing the growth of the girls was just so rewarding in a, in a short period of time. You know, it, it just made me understand the value of the environment that you put athletes in or people in more than more than just athletes. You know, if you can create the right environment for people then um, provide them with with safety and and um, and guidance and things like that. Then then it's amazing what what you can actually do. So that that was such a rewarding experience. Um, but then obviously COVID hit. The girls went back to China. Um, and I didn't think China was the right thing place for me to go. <laughs> I thought to myself, this yeah 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 I was, oh yeah yeah I, was, oh, I don't think that's a very good place for me to go is at, at this moment in time and uh, so other uh, foreign staff didn't go back to china um so the girls went back um uh, we were waiting here then to see what had happened and then i got a phone call uh from the canon eagles in japan which are a team in the top league uh in in japan and um they are. All- after some chats with them, uh, decided to to kind of finish with with China and um, and, and head to Japan.
1: So, Alistair, you've worked across diverse cultures, different environments, different countries. What's the biggest lesson you've learned?
2: I think probably the biggest thing for me was was um, going down the path of self discovery. That's that was probably the biggest thing for me. So, I, I remember a, a while ago thinking to myself, okay, if if I'm gonna if I'm going to be the best I can be, then if I'm sorry, if I'm going to get the best of the players that I coach, then I need to be the best I can be. So I need to kind of find out a little bit about myself and, and how I operate in, um, because I've obviously I'd been in quite a few stressful environments and seemed to kind of have my way of operating, but I wondered whether I was operating to my full potential um, or, and I, I, what I mean by that is, like, an example was when you are under pressure. How I always felt, uh, just take a deep breath and um, you know, get, gather clarity of thought, and then decide and 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 do basically. So I'd kind of work those processes and learned those processes through through my time with the All Blacks. Um, but I wondered what else I needed to to throw myself in and experience so I could be the best coach that I could be, or the best and, and the best person that I could be. So I, so I would want to come from real authenticity in, in, in what I, what I was, what I was delivering. So, and I, and I think a lot of, a lot of people tend to kind of, it's a, it's a difficult journey and it's not one that, um, is a finished destiny. I I think it's a lifelong journey. Once you start it, you, you keep kind of pushing through things and you, you keep discovering new things about yourself. So, it's a lifelong commitment to doing that, but um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that uh, has allowed me to to kind of seek different environments and see how I operate in those environments and then try and get the best out of people in those environments.
0: Really hope any aspiring coach could just rewind those last four or five minutes. And listen to the lessons and the wisdom that's just been distilled by Alistair. Alistair, let's just paint a picture for a minute and say you're walking towards Eden Park on the evening of a big test match and someone catches your eye. Yeah. And it's a younger version of yourself. So it's yourself, but 20 years younger. What would you say to that younger version of yourself to maybe think about embarking on the rest of your life? Great question.
2: Great question. You know, Min, if I'm really, really honest with you, I'd probably just whisper to that young fella that everything's going to be okay because it'll work out. You know, you'll find a way. Um, because it's, it, it's it's such an interesting path, coaching. Um, I think people see a lot of the the great side of it that you um, the reward inside. You know that you travel a lot and you you get to experience all these great things and and you do and it, it's wonderful. But And I've been in so many different courses and New Zealand Rugby Union do a great uh, job in coach development, but they don't really teach you when it's, when it isn't gonna go right, how are you gonna be? Um, Because it's gonna come at some stage. (laughs) If it doesn't, you're, you're pretty fortunate, you know? So I think that message to the younger fella that it'll, everything's going to be all right. We'll probably give just a little bit of um, guidance to know that it, it, things will will work out. You know, if you just keep keep believing, keep being authentic to yourself, um, understand like first and foremost who you are and how you operate, um, and then and then keep keep striving.
1: Thanks for that, Alistair. It actually brings us on nicely to the signature question of the show, Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. What does high performance mean to you?
2: You know, Mina such a great question because I think, I think that question doesn't get asked enough. I think a lot of, there's so many, high performance for me, it gets branded around a lot. But I wonder where the, people actually take the time to actually understand what high performance is to them. So it's such, such a great question. Um, so for me, I would define high performance as to realize and reach your potential in the environments that you step into. Uh, so what, what I mean by that is, um, I over time, I think people talk about you know, we're being world-leading and being um, as a high performer, or, or being world's best, and that's that's certainly that's certainly high performing. There's there's no doubt in that. But I use the term, I use the words um, to reach your potential in the environment that you step into, because you know, if you've got a a, a young kid in school who's who's um, maybe maybe not the brightest in a certain subject but is is really pushing the boundaries and and learning and and discovering and who's to say that they're not high performing in that environment so i think that that's i think that that's that's it for for me is 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 to reach Your potential in the environment that you step into
0: alistair rogers we both like to say thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today at the crack of dawn five o'clock in the morning in auckland really appreciate it sharing all those stories all those insights we've gotten so much from it and and we know our listeners will stay fit stay healthy
2: guys thanks very much again for your time it's been great really enjoyed it um and I, i hope um that members of your community um can take a couple of things away but great to check
1: thanks very much alice cheers thank you for listening to
2: today's episode of sleep eat perform repeat a story of high performance this was brought to you by Howora, a whole person well-being company founded and run from dublin ireland find out more at howoralife.com spelled h-a-u-o-r-a life.com please rate review and share the podcast some people want it to happen some wish it would happen others make it happen the ghost, Michael Jordan.